The following is a special series of the Darden Ideas to Action podcast, focusing on the power of disruptive innovations. The Disruption, a lively discussion between UVA Darden School of Business professors Yael grushka Kukane and Mike Lennox on cutting-edge technologies and practices that are challenging the status quo. Hello, welcome to our episode of Good Disruption. Mike, we're talking about one of your favorite topics today, I think. Well, this is, this is a big one. This is an I exciting know, one. Um, we're going to discuss the metaverse. The metaverse. I want to say that my son is away at camp and you are forcing me to talk about online gaming, right? Basically? It is so much more than online gaming. This is going to transform the world. It's going to create synergies. It's going to create, you know, a, a societal well-being. Well, we, we can explore all that. But look, one of the kind of critical things with the metaverse is the opportunity to create an avatar Ooh. of yourself in your digital world. So I thought we'd start before we really try to define the metaverse. What would your avatar be? Ooh, what Maybe you already have an avatar? avatar out there. I'm not sure. The only avatar that I can think of is that when I look at Google Maps, instead of a nice little red car, I have like a green 4x4 truck. So I think that there's something there for my avatar to have some kind of like, you know, Wait, big big wheels. Uh, say, don't you drive like a Mini Cooper? <laughs> I do, this is like I aspirational. Do. You really want a big car? Exactly. That, oh, exactly. Interesting. I, I was thinking about like the only avatar I could think I've had is like playing Fortnite with my son back there in the day. Go. And I, whatever like the most basic avatar is what I chose because I was so bad at the game anyway. Um, I'm not sure what I would choose with an with an aspirational uh, one. I'm not that that creative. Though I, you it, do have your Twitter handle, right? It has like a uh, um, a cartoon version of you, right? Yes, I do. So that's kind of cool. That's yeah. An avatar yeah, in some I do way. have, and on my phone I have avatars for all of my family members. So when they call or when they send me a text, I can see a little icon of them. But you know, the metaverse confuses me because it feels very sci-fi. It feels very timely. All of the Marvel movies are obviously obsessed. Can you tell me a little bit more or help me understand what is the metaverse and where did it come from all of a sudden? Yeah, I think there's there's uh, a lot of hype. Um, I, I saw there's a McKinsey report. There's always a McKinsey report that has it as a $5 trillion market by 2030. So I we can explore that. whether we, we believe that or not. Um, probably the most dramatic thing we've seen in the last year or so has been Facebook literally changing their name to Meta as a strategic intent to be all in on the metaverse, and that's where they see uh, their future here. So, so what is it? Um, so a little bit of the history here. As often as the case, um, concepts like this come out of science fiction. So the term metaverse was actually coined, or at least credited uh, to Neil Stephenson from his 1992 book, Snow Crash, as the first to kind of conceive of this. And it's this idea of a digital world uh, using virtual reality and 3D rendering to create this immersive environment. So again, kind of referencing sci-fi. The holograms on the next generation. The pot potentially, that's another good, a good example. The ones that came to my mind were uh, The Matrix, yep. of course, uh, with Keanu Reeves and uh, this idea that we are all living in a virtual simulation. But probably my favorite uh, kind of pop culture articulation of what this could be uh, is Ready Player One, uh, which is a 19, or excuse me, 2011 book um, by Ernest Cline, uh, also made into a movie by Steven Spielberg. With a great 
1980s soundtrack. I'm oh glad. my gosh, the book, if you are Gen X like we are, it is like right in our sweet spot. The movie, I think, wasn't quite as good as the book, no, as but the often is the case. <laughs> the soundtrack was good. But in that book, they talk about uh, the, the Oasis, the Oasis being this kind of one-stop um, engagement in this 3D virtual world. And you know, you, you began with like gaming, right? So clearly we are already seeing these immersive virtual worlds in gaming, but the vision is basically the way we might um, engage with the internet. We'll move from this kind of flat, static, two-dimensional uh, engagement to this very robust 3D world. So you can imagine things like social media rather than, you know, putting text out on Snapchat or the like. Suddenly you're in, you know, with your avatar engaging people in a 3D world. Shopping, right? Instead of scrolling through pages on Amazon, now you're walking through a virtual store, seeing objects, picking them up virtually and inspecting them. One application that I've seen a lot through the pandemic has been the emerging uh, emergence of uh, virtual platforms forms for our conferences and yeah. so you get a little avatar you walk around the hall you have a poster session you meet and greet other people um, which combines like a 3d virtual animated component with zoom and with other kind of video uh, plugins and we talked about online learning before there is this belief that maybe online learning will move to these virtual classrooms where your avatar will be in front and the students will be in the classroom can and i be a bit taller just oh, a little bit this taller. is the beauty of the metaverse <laughs> you can be whoever you want to be uh in in the metaverse there. I, I would also observe this is a, a part of something even larger uh, that people are calling Web 3. Uh, so if you think about the browser being kind of Web 1 and then social media or maybe and mobile being Web 2, people are seeing this being, again, the next instance of the way we consume uh, the internet here. And it's getting bundled, as often these kind of things do, with other technologies, some that we've talked about. So this idea that you will trade and buy digital assets using your cryptocurrencies in this metaverse environment. Uh, NFTs, which we've, we've talked a little bit about, these non-fungible tokens, basically a way of exerting ownership over digital assets um, becomes a potential in these worlds. So you're, again, using your Bitcoin to buy different digital artifacts. Having AI create the images on the non-fungible tokens to begin with, going back to what we talked about, you know, artistic AI. Yeah, and, you know, maybe selling that on the, in, the, uh, in the virtual environment. Though I, I would observe that um, as new as this concept seems, there's actually been uh, a few instances of this for quite a while. And the one that I think most people think about is Second Life. Second Life so yeah. Second Life came about in 2003. It was launched by a company called Linden Labs. Um, it basically became a viral sensation soon after it launched. And, and I think the kind of high watermark for Second Life was that in 2006, Aileen Grafe, who was a school teacher, whose avatar name was, let me get this right here, Asher Chung, uh, made over $3 million selling real estate in Second Life. Three million, like, real dollars, not just <laughs> virtual dollars here. Uh, because, again, people were interested in uh, consuming these digital resources in this virtual world, and there was real money to be made. Um, Second Life still exists. It's still out there. Um, I think, obviously, the hype has died down. Um, maybe it was a technology before its time. Um, but I do think it's, a, you know, it's an interesting predecessor here to what we think the metaverse might be. So let me ask you about the timing. We've talked in other um, episodes around why um, electric vehicles are becoming more relevant. We talked a little bit about why AI suddenly is able to create high quality pictures or high quality music. What is it about the metaverse that it seems like there's 
an, you know, an awakening right now. Yeah, I think part of it is very similar to what we've talked about before, uh, processing power and data, and also bandwidth. Bandwidth's really important um, if you're going to be accessing the metaverse on the cloud, which is probably the most likely outcome here. Um, so things like 3D and virtual rendering, the use of VR, um, are technologies that are advancing quickly here, and not only in terms of their technical capabilities, but also their expense. Um, so it's getting, as we often talk about, the learning curve here. Um, so it's getting less and less to have the goggles, to have the processing power, so you can access these worlds. And as you said, there are a variety of very vibrant virtual worlds in the gaming community that we that we see now. Right. Um, and so it is a technology that's kind of in prime time, reaching prime time, and now this broader vision of what that engagement could be. Has the pandemic accelerated anything in terms of uh, individuals' tendencies to seek more satisfaction at the fingertips at, from home on their desktops and be willing to go to worlds in a, in a, in a different way because they can't fly or travel physically? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think, as you said, like conferences, clearly Zoom and the use of all, you know conferencing and working remotely, um, I can imagine that absolutely could be pushing along this idea of our, our virtual environments. The other, the other piece I would add to this as well is there's a belief that meta, the metaverse might actually start to blur the lines between the physical and the virtual worlds. Uh, in particular, AR, um, uh, artificial reality, where you're, or excuse me, augmented, augmented reality, augmented reality yeah. uh, where you are seeing the real world, but then digitally enhanced in some way. And probably the primary example of this that people might be familiar with was Pokemon Go yeah. from a couple years ago. So it was a virtual game. You used it on your mobile phone. You were actually looking at the world through your phone, and then these Pokemon would appear, you know, wherever, on a castle or on a river or, or or the like here. Um, and so you're starting to see some interesting discussions of how these two worlds, the physical and the virtual, will interact. Uh, there's this idea of digital twins. So they're developing virtual worlds that are exact replicas of the real world. Uh, Singapore has been one of the first cities that has created basically a virtual representation of their world. And so the thinking is you can access the virtual world and walk down the street and then that gives you a sense of maybe where to go to the restaurant or you know you're walking and your phone alerts you to something happening uh, at a coffee shop maybe even giving you a uh, a coupon uh, and the like yeah Microsoft are talking about doing something similar in Hong Kong yeah uh, and, it, and actually where I think you're really starting to get the first uptick in this is some of the companies and industrial processes so they're creating digital twins of their factories and it allows them to run real-time experiments and simulations on you know efficient questions, uh, failures of machines, uh, and the data being generated by kind of Internet of Things tied to these machines is fed directly into the virtual digital twin in real time. So in some ways, the virtual world is living in parallel with the real world at the same time. Could this be used as a technology, or I've heard instances where it's been suggested to be used, and I'll be curious to your thoughts. Uh, we talked about online learning. Uh, when I'm teaching, for instance, if I'm trying to train and teach physicians how to yeah. do conduct operations and um, highly technical and dangerous activities that could put lives in danger, why try it out on a real patient if they could use some kind of augmented reality in world and practice there. Would that yeah, be a, a good use case for this? Absolutely. And in some ways, flight simulators have been around for, for decades. For decades. Going back right. even longer, you know, 50 years or plus. Um, but this is now the new, you know, virtual version of these. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right that these kind of 
uh, work together. But I think I think we've kind of talked to kind of the extent of our knowledge, and so I want to I want to bring in an expert as we often do to help us, th you know, think through this this concept here. Uh, really pleased to have Tobias Dingle, who is the founder and CEO of Willow Tree. Uh, Willow Tree is a full-service mobile application developer uh, who has worked with a number of Fortune 500 companies and others, companies like GE, Johnson & Johnson, Pepsi. I know they've done work with Time Warner and HBO. Um, and, and really, they're on this cutting edge of application development. Uh, so Tobias, just thank you for being with us and uh, for spending some time to talk about the metaverse. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I'm excited to be here. So, so the first question for you: uh, How do you define the metaverse? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. So, at the end of the day, I think what people are saying is that the metaverse ultimately is when all these specific use cases, specific ideas, specific worlds that we're talking about are somehow connected into a more seamless overall environment. And I think the best analogy is to help people get their heads around it is what happened with, with the web and the internet in the mid nineties. Um, for those of us who were around then, originally the web was just, a, you had to know like a URL or an address to go and you had like a single experience and that was fine and interesting at first, but the invention of basically the hyperlink connected the whole thing. And then the, the Netscape browser on top of it made a single piece of software usable to basically go anywhere you wanted to go on your computer. And I think that connectivity, but now applied to both virtual worlds and you know additional dimensions in the current world, the more AR, AR examples you're talking about, I think that's, that's really what the metaverse as a concept is about. And that's why Facebook is so focused on it because they want to be you know, for lack of a better analogy, the Netscape of of this next innovation cycle. You know, I, I definitely want to explore this notion, especially as, as a business strategist and an economist of like, will this lead to a single platform or not? But before we get there, I'd love just to hear a little bit your own experience with Willow Tree on just kind of VR and AR applications to date. Uh, maybe reflect on kind of where we are with that. And then again, we can get to this question of whether that will eventually merge into one meta platform here. Yeah, so I think where we are and the examples you guys gave are, are right on is there are a lot of specific use cases that are being explored that make a lot of sense. Um, they tend to be very disparate use cases, right? There's the, a whole industrial class of use cases. There's a whole educational class of use cases. And then there's a gaming class, which is I think the dominant class of use cases right now. Um, and that goes into alternate experiences, the second life kind of thing. Um, and so each one is very different, right? That's why it's so hard to talk about the metaverse as the thing right now, because each one of these things is, 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 is remarkably different in the technology that's used, the experience you're trying to create for the end user, et cetera. Um, but we're playing in each of those. So examples of what's going on in the kind of second life world, now going into Oculus and the whole new set of those worlds um, is brands are starting to play there. Nike has a store in Roblox, NASCAR, uh, the NBA is selling NFTs, but in those worlds, right? Um, and so I think there's a whole, and you take that to an even further extent, Walmart is setting up or has set up a, a metaverse shop where you basically shop in a Walmart store, but, you know, and it's very rudimentary, it's early days. I always 
you know, say, you know, when, when I was at AOL in the early mid nineties, you know, the first version of time magazine on AOL was just basically a PDF of time magazine. It took a long time. <laughs> You've come a long way. We've <laughs> come a long way. Right. And that's kind of, but that's where we are right now. We're basically saying, Oh, we're going to put a Walmart store in the metaverse in five years. People are going to laugh at that. Just like we're, we're giggling at, at the PDF of time magazine. Like who would ever look at that on a computer screen? So that's kind of where we are right now. It's just, it requires time it requires the technology to evolve investment. The other technology that I think is really important to talk about is voice. Um, mm -hmm because all this only works with great voice tech. No one is going to be typing on um, a, you know, a laptop or typing on a mobile phone. To drop your sword, you. drop your sword, you know. You're dating yourself, you're dating yourself. I played way too many, we've already established that I was in the marching band like in high school. Also played way too many of those games where you, you know, navigate with two, two world text uh, commands. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. we cut you off. So I think, the vo I think what you're going to see over the next couple of years is voice becoming a really important part of how we interact with our devices. You know, we won't be tapping and swiping like what's the weather in Boston. We'll ask what's the weather in Boston, but then we'll see it on a screen. And, and so that's kind of a step one to get to this hyper interactive, fully immersive world. And, and we've, we've seen the Alexas and the series of the world. I guess that's the technology that has been developed uh, simultaneously where they become more savvy and sophisticated and the capabilities just by a voice command has increased. What about somebody just reading my brain, uh, Tobias? Will they eventually be able, if I think about it, will it happen? I mean, Facebook, I, I don't know if you guys saw that, like two years ago, Facebook, that was their big presentation, when they were still called Facebook, their big presentation at a conference, they had actually put electrodes into into folks' brains and and we're, we're working on that. Uh, so I yes, hopefully not while we're still on this planet. <laughs> That's gonna be another podcast for us with cyborgs, right? That's gonna be good, good, bad disruption or not. Our kids can deal with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious getting back to, you know, you mentioned Roblox. Um, I, I think about Fortnite, I think about Minecraft and um, again, let's let's talk a little bit kind of business strategy here. If we think about applications and software, you know, we went to uh, let me sell you a piece of software, the kind of Microsoft version. Uh, we eventually evolved to software as a service and a more subscription-based model. You know, what's fascinating me about uh, Fortnite in particular is here's you know a classic freemium model where free to download, free to play, and yet they are making billions of dollars off of you know skins and avatars again uh and, and additional products what what do you see as like the business model of the metaverse um moving forward yeah i think that's the incredibly difficult question to ask but i think if you look backwards at how the internet evolved you're it's going to be the same thing it's going to be this freemium model is going to be very very powerful then there's going to be an advertising model um, and then there's a promotional model that sits on top of it where people are really just giving away things for free in order to build brands and mm -hmm. they monetize that, those brands in completely different ways um, outside of the metaverse. So all those things are going to fit together. I think in the near term, like anything, um, gaming is going to be the, at the forefront of this. Um, I mean, again, back at AOL days, gaming was what, what made AOL profitable, right? We were selling hours for 99 cents an hour. And most of those hours were people playing games like Slingo, Slots Plus Bingo, that, you know, <laughs> at the time, stay-at-home moms were, were spending four hours a day playing. And, and that's what 
it, it, I feel like the entertainment aspect, and it could be games, but it could be other kind of immersive experiences. You know, what is a movie of the future look like in the metaverse? Those kinds of things are going to be leading the charge here in terms of the consumer side. And then there's just these obvious industrial applications and educational applications that are going to play a huge role, but those are going to be subscription. And those, those I can see the the industrial use cases, I can see that once that becomes more um, adopted by more companies out there, by manufacturing, by high tech companies that need uh, very sophisticated testing facilities, I can imagine that that would generate its own revenue. And then I always think about sports. You talked about the movie of the future, but I always think, you know, one of the big revenue generating industries is the sports industry. Once come teams get their fans to interact in different ways. Maybe there's a lot of potential there uh, as well. Well, that was going to be my question. And I wasn't thinking of sports. I was just thinking of things like Nike and the sell selling of, of goods, you know, clothing and shoes. You can do that in the virtual world, as we were talking about. You can create digital artifacts. Are you hearing clients thinking that that's not only just a branding opportunity to sell clothes in the real world, but they're going to view this as a significant revenue stream in and of itself, that I'm going to have my classic Air Jordan Nikes on my avatar, and that's going to be a, a scarce good that I'm going to pay a lot for? A hundred percent. And it, the, the key word there is scarcity. Right. Um, and so those brand, those kind of brands are all over it. And, you know, obviously high-end fashion brands are all over it. Um, Ralph Lauren's making a huge investment in the space because um, if they sell, you know, a hundred of these sweaters and they're the only ones and they, they're, they're, they're absolutely constrained because they're NFTs, that's a brand new market for them. And they're going to be putting designers against designing those. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a whole new world, right? That's sometimes hard, I think, for us to understand who didn't grow up in this in this virtual world or so tied to the virtual world, but I see it all around me with our employees, you know, many of whom are first job out of college, you know, what, what, how they, how they present, present themselves in the metaverse and in, as their avatars is really important and what collections of things they have, NFTs, et cetera. Um, it's, you know, no different than, you know, we might have an art collection or whatever in our house that we like to show off. Now it's just virtual. Amazing. And the out, I guess the, the extension and the reach that they have is much broader because they can now create a community of friends and people that they know globally and they really have no limitations. Uh, whereas we, in order to show off our art collection, need people to actually be in our house. Um, I, I have yeah. a question. Um, we often talk about uh, some drawbacks or downsides of these disruptive technologies. There, are, there always are some. Uh, from your perspective, having you know spent all this time thinking about it and, and working in this field, what are some dangers or what are some kind of negative aspects of the metaverse? Well, I so there's two things I would say as we think about this that we're conscious of. Not so one isn't one one is a danger, more of a business model danger is that any transition like this goes and fits and starts. It doesn't happen in a smooth line. Um, and we're gonna have, and maybe we're in it right now already, like the same big pullback that we had in 2000, 2001 mm -hmm. um, on the internet, where all of a sudden every idea turns out wasn't a great idea. <laughs> and so there's just going to be a nat, you know, pets.com, everyone's favorite example that, so it's, it's, um, it's going to evolve. And I think the most important concept for us always goes back to the book crossing the chasm, which I think was written in 1991, 
which basically posits you got it when when as technology evolves evolves you have to be very careful to understand when it becomes truly mainstream and when it's just something that's used by you know the lunatic fringe who will use any new technology <laughs> because it's cool um and 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 on the consumer side outside of gaming and a few applications honestly i think the jury's still a little bit out or at least the killer app hasn't been found yet and i think the major point of friction the major constraint is getting into the metaverse requires a commitment it requires you know often you to put on a mask on your head which is not a very social move although <laughs> and, slightly more acceptable these days than it used to be a few years ago that's for sure <laughs> sure but it's not something you do out with friends it's not right. something you do you know sitting around at dinner with your family or at least hopefully you don't um and that's very different from like the mobile device like the smartphones always on always with you you know the reason that they're so popular is there's They're, they're so it's so easy to start the experience. In fact, it's hard not to start the experience for most of us all day long. Um, and I think that's just something that that first initial friction point of getting into the metaverse is something everyone needs to be conscious of. Like th what what's on the other side has to be so good that it's worth doing. Um, and in gaming, we found that. But I think in terms of really competing for time with mobile devices, et cetera, we're, we're just not there yet. So that's one thing. Can I can ask a question on that? I just, uh, you know, yeah. I'm going to play the cynic here for a second. Um, that's awesome that I could have a virtual world where I go down the shopping aisle and I look at the different products I want and I can pick them up and observe them. But man, it's pretty easy for me to ask my Alexa to like buy more deodorant for me. And like, why would I need a virtual world to, to do this? And we always ask the question, like, you know, what's the problem being solved by the metaverse and maybe some of these other these other use cases like shopping or even education we talked about like is it really improving anything to be in a virtual world versus um a synchronous online learning environment with with real people rather than than avatars that those are the exact right questions and i think everyone is still wrestling with those it's not obvious again that the metaverse solves things across the board like the smartphone did but I think we should all remember that mobile, yes, the iPhone was a huge breakthrough, but people were messing around with mobile and trying to figure out like how to make that an interactive medium as, as you know, in the, in the late nineties, right? Like, I don't know if you remember WAP and all these like very simple online digital experiences you could have on your phone, but they all, they all, they all weren't great. And there were a lot of cynics saying, well, this is never going to work. And then the iPhone came out. But when the iPhone came out, no one would have predicted that one of the industries that was going to get disrupted by the iPhone three years later was a taxi industry right. by Uber. And so it just takes a little time for these killer applications to be figured out. And once once a new technology and a platform there, right, the earliest TV shows were people just, you know, they, they were filming radio shows, right? right? It took a while to like come up with the brilliance of reality TV as an example. Right. So, um, so, so we, I, I think... You can't, this is the trick to the whole thing, right? You can't, on the one hand, know exactly what applications are going to come out of this. So you have to be a little bit patient, but you have to be, you have to take a sobering view that you bring up because um, sometimes this stuff is a miss and there have been misses. Like if you, if we went to CES in 2012, we would be hearing folks tell us that 
the future of media was 3D television in the home. And by 2020, 80% of American houses would have a 3D TV. And we don't. Yeah. Um, so there are misses all the time. And so the, the question, you're asking the right question. Um, what are the killer applications? What problems does it solve? There are specific use cases. It's great for gaming. It's great for certain types of education. They're great industrial use cases that we know about. The broader answer is, is if we're brutally honest, is we don't know. So can I have a follow-up to that, which is... Um, the metaverse, as we talked about it, as an all-encompassing place. So I go back to like the Oasis from Ready Player One, where the way they uh, you know envision this is that there's planets. Um, and so you go to a different, so I go to the Amazon planet to go shop. I go to the Darden planet to go get my education. But there's one common uh, platform where my avatar travels with me, my, you know, a whole bunch of assets travel with me. Um, is, is, is that really the future or is it just going to be a set of, like you said, killer apps like, you know, uh, like Uber is versus Airbnb and yeah, I'll go to Robolix and I'll play there and then maybe I'll go to like a separate virtual environment. Is the pressure really there to create one true metaverse or is it just a whole bunch of different virtual environments? Um, my gut is that it will be different virtual environments, but supported by kind of one set of tools and protocols that make it easier to travel amongst them than it is today. Interesting. Okay. But, but that, um, you know, and, and, you know, you might, you'll have, might have an identity, you might have an avatar that everyone uses these different protocols for authentication for your avatar, for your X, Y, Z. So you can very easily move between them. Um, and you're not having to download lots of software. You might have to download a mini app as you move between them. But I think the competitive pressure is such that it's going to be really difficult for one company to kind of create an ecosystem that everyone buys into. And you can be assured that amongst the big four or five tech companies, if if th that's going to be the battle of the next five years is what are those protocols and who who plays nice with whom? Yeah. And yeah, Net Netscape, I mean, the browser itself has evolved in our lifetime so many times between the one, app, you know, one browser we thought everybody was going to stick with and, and stay with. And now, you know, there's always going to be emergence of new players and new new platforms that are better and, uh, and solve some problems. Oh. I, it was interesting to think about just, you know, crime and cyberbullying and a lot of problems that we have in our current world are we just going to be having to fight them in another world as well? I mean, I know that there was some of that in Ready Player One, but like th that scares me a little bit. I, I echo that. I mean, one of the things that we've noticed as, as a company as we've gotten more virtual and now are slowly becoming less virtual again is people are more comfortable being rude and disrespectful to each other in a virtual environment yeah. than they are they do things that they would never in a million years do if we were all sitting in the same room together. Yep. And if you think about some of the divisiveness in our society and all societies globally, I think it's heavily impacted by the fact that people are just sitting in front of their screens and firing things away that you, you would just never otherwise do. And so I, I think there's a huge risk that all the problems we've had on Facebook uh, that, you know, the, the psychology of Facebook, all the different issues around, um, how everyone presents their best side. And, you know, just statistically, we know that people who spend more time on Facebook are actually um, often less happy. Um, you know, I, I, I think 
this just exacerbates that. And I think yeah. we're going to have to figure out a society how to deal with it. I was reading an article talking about, you know, haptic suits. And so this idea of really an immersive 3D environment, um, you know, the opportunities for sexual assault and, and just a egregious behavior um, on these in these virtual worlds um, and how do you police them and how do you uh, uh, monitor that that type of behavior and like you said you know unfortunately some people behave in virtual environments like they would hopefully never behave in the exactly. quote-unquote real environment now it just came out this week or last week right one of the senior execs i think at microsoft had to leave because one of the first demos they showed was you know sexually explicit and you know completely unbalanced. And right. um, I mean, and that these are senior executives. This isn't like um, even out in the wild yet. So well, that, and that also raises, you know, kind of gets to this whole theme of a single metaverse of uh, governance and control. Right. I mean, I find it fascinating that, that uh, Meta and Zuckerberg are talking about, you know, their version of the metaverse is going to be an open source platform where Facebook is just the opposite of that. It's about one of the most closed environments uh, that's been created in terms of ownership of the platform. But as Facebook has lived, you know, if you own it, then you also have to manage it and monitor it and be uh, dealing with these types of issues. Do, do you see this being, again, like, again, we, we maybe have some doubts of a single owner, but if there's an owner, then they have responsibility. The other side might be just as bad, though, right? If it is a true open platform, is there any regulation? Is there wild, any wild way? West. Yeah, it's a wild, wild west. Uh, have, have people thought about how you how you govern these types of virtual worlds? I the way this is going to happen is it is going to be the wild, wild west because these companies are intentionally not going to monitor what's going on in order to avoid the responsibility of doing so. It's not it's not just an expensing. It's expensive to do, but it's much more of a liability and, and other issue. And they want to be able to hide behind that. This is just a platform and we're not responsible for what goes on with in that platform as much as they possibly can. Yeah. So. I, I, you know, we can talk about it, but I think we just have to, the reality is going to be, it's going to go down that road until there's, you know, federal legislation or other legislation to curb it. But that's, that's how it's going to go for sure. Well, it's interesting. We talked about on this show, we've talked about um, uh, cryptocurrency and a little bit of the tension there between a desire to regulate versus a desire to let the, the open market do its thing. And I think self-regulate. Yeah, <laughs> self-regulate. I think we're seeing this in, in multiple disruptions where the disruption occurs uh, almost by definition because you enable a lot of people uh, to, to experiment and, and to try and figure it out. But then there reaches a point where we all feel like somebody has to rein it in and control it, which is a very interesting tension. Well, Tobias, th thank you so much for your, uh, for your insights and thoughts. Uh, we're going to turn to our favorite part of the segment now for Yael and I, which is our, our final verdict here of good disruption, bad disruption, or no disruption. So Ooh. Yael, you want to come in? I know you were skeptical coming in. I am one. still skeptical. Um, I'm fascinated by it. Um, living, you know, growing up in a household with uh, um, my family being obsessed with sci-fi. I think it's, it's fascinating. I'm excited to find places where I can be taller and buy more shoes always. Um, but I am, I'm a bit skeptical. I think we're opening a Pandora box um, to problems that we haven't been able to overcome in our, our physical world that I worry that we're going to find ourselves dealing with now in multiple parallel worlds. So I'm a little bit skeptical. So a little bit more on the, um, you know. No disruption or bad disruption? Um, maybe potentially 
potentially bad disruption unless something happens in the next uh, few years to fix it. Maybe Willow Tree will solve solve the problem and come up with the good, the, tw turn it to the good. So uh, maybe surprising to you, I'm, I'm actually going to agree with you on this one. Um, I'm going to agree with you to the extent we're talking about a single metaverse. I think there's lots of use cases as we've talked about for virtual reality and these virtual worlds. We'll see those continue to develop and mature uh, and again in lots of different applications. Um, I think this governance issue is really important. I think the question of market power, which we haven't discussed as much. Uh, and, and again, I'll keep referencing Ready Player One, but you know, the big baddie in there is the company who gets to control Oasis, right? So right. that power that someone could have with an all-encompassing platform like that. And then I think there's just the, uh, the general effect on society that we're kind of getting at here of if, if people find themselves enjoying the virtual world more than the real world and they disengage even more than we have in society, what does that do to polarization? What does that do to communal sense of well-being? Um, those are all very, very scary to me. So I'm not sure the disruption will occur. So I might be on the no disruption, right. but the idea of an all-encompassing single metaverse, um, I worry that's a, that's a bad disruption. Well, time will tell, and we will uh, uh, engage and find ways to insert, you know, insert our good and bring our good, uh, you know, thoughts to these applications. So, in a way, maybe business schools or um, actually businesses in general need to develop the next set of leaders who's aware, who are aware of these technologies, aware of the fact that they're emerging, and think consistently, how can we put in place guardrails to ensure that they're used in, in, in better, better ways? Yeah. A little bit like AI in general, where we're looking at fairness, we're looking at controlling bias, we're looking to, to, to understand the implications of these powerful new tools. Well, as always, a fascinating conversation. Thank you, uh, Tobias, again for his time uh, and sharing his expertise. As always, thank you to Gary, our producer, and Becky, our top-notch uh, researcher here. Um, I still don't have, you know, who my voice uh, doppelganger is, so maybe next time we can you know, avatar, revisit that. Yes. My, or, or my avatar at this point, but we will continue to explore uh, these these topics. Maybe, maybe, you'll go, maybe you'll go mythical, something, you know. Fun. I was thinking I was just going to do Mark Wahlberg. Oh, you know, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg will <laughs> be my avatar. Right. Yes. And then we're going to use the AI to record a song. We're going to we're, we're, done. Gonna, we're done. We don't even need to ask his permission anymore for these things. All right. Thank you very much, uh, and enjoy uh, our next episode. I look on forward good to disruption. the next one. Good disruption is a podcast from the University of Virginia Darden School of Business.